You're listening to the Heart of Giving podcast with Art Taylor, powered by BBBgive.org. Here we explore the motivations that form the basis of giving and service. We inspire generosity and celebrate the transformative effects that giving and service have on the human spirit and on community. The conversations featured on the podcast also uncover giving strategies that educate and provide tools to help listeners make impactful gifts of both their time and money. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Heart of Giving podcast, powered by BBBgive.org. Give.org is the nation's standards-based charity evaluator, and it's your one-stop source for information on giving and reports on the most asked about charities. I'm Art Taylor. It's been about a year, almost, since there was a devastating earthquake in Haiti, and we thought it was time to maybe check in and see how things are going. Now, a year later, Haiti is a place that has been affected by so many natural disasters and some political ones as well over the last uh, dozen years or so. And our hearts continue to go out to the people there. But we also know that there are many in this country and around the world who want to see things change in Haiti, who want to support Haiti in any way that we can. And one such organization is Hope for Haiti, which has been actually active in Haiti over the last 30 plus years. And they are very active now and have been over this last year. We have today Taylor Hebel, who is the chief marketing officer at Hope for Haiti with us, who's just returned from a trip there. And she's ready to tell us what we need to hear about progress in Haiti. Taylor, welcome to the Heart of Giving podcast. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Taylor, like we do on this podcast, I'd like to start just by asking you a little bit about yourself. How did you get involved in Hope for Haiti? And what was it maybe in your earlier career that sort of led you to this this role? So I've been with Hope for Haiti for uh, about five years now. It'll be five years next week. And before that, I spent about seven years doing corporate advertising, which I'm sure you can assume is very different from, from the nonprofit world. And I'd always had a very strong interest in social impact. I come from a family on both sides that is very dedicated to giving back. And I'd served on some volunteer boards. I was very involved with the the local junior women's club where I was living at the time. I was its president. And when that seven-year anniversary kind of started looming in my corporate advertising job, I realized that if I didn't make the switch now, that I probably never would. And so I started kind of putting out feelers in the community where I'm from in in Southern Florida. It's a very kind of small world (laughs) where everyone kind of knows everyone's business. And I'd started putting out these feelers and I had been introduced to Hope for Haiti a few years before that. In my old job, I used to represent the company at galas that they had sponsored and Hope for Hades was one of them. So I knew that they were a great organization that had done good work. The Junior Women's Club had volunteered for them in the past as well. 
And kind of through the grapevine, uh, a friend of my friend uh, is friends with our chief development officer, friend of a friend with her, and just kind of those little links kind of came up. And I went in for what was supposed to be a half an hour interview at the end of the workday. It ended up lasting almost four hours. We just really connected. I was so impressed by the organization's culture and all of the measurable, incredible impact that Hope for Haiti has on the ground in Southern Haiti. The fact that it's been there now for about 33 years and and the fact that our staff is predominantly Haitian from and living in the communities that we serve. So these incredible doctors, nurses, program specialists uh, that are really dedicated to improving their own country. So I made the leap over and never looked back. And it's been the, the best leap of faith that I think I've ever made and haven't regretted it for a second. Well, that's awesome. You make me think about my good friend, Bill Novelli who did a podcast with me about a year or so ago when he was announcing his new book. Uh, well, Bill also started out in, I guess you would say, marketing for a company and advertising. He was in the advertising field. In fact, he started a firm, Porter Novelli, that was doing uh, advertising. And he got to a point where he felt that he wasn't really doing as much as he could in his job to move society forward. And it just wasn't meaningful to him anymore to sell another widget. <laughs> I just use that <laughs> term. He was actually selling, I think, um, dog food, he said. And uh, one day someone got the dog food pitch mixed up with food for people, cereal for people. And he said it was at that point he knew he, he had to, to move on to something else. <laughs> well, I wasn't selling dog food, but that, that, rings very, uh, that rings very, very true. You know, you get to a point where I was in my mid-20s and just knew that if it wasn't now, I'd already been there for seven years. If it wasn't now, then it was probably going to be never. And then I think I, I knew I'd look back at my life later on and regret not making that jump and, and trying it out. <laughs> Well, you definitely need to meet Bill because he's gone on and turned what was a corporate career into an amazing career um, to uh, help society in a variety of ways. So I'll have to make that connection. I think you'll enjoy talking with him. But now you are with Hope for Haiti, has been around now, as you say, for 30 years. How have things evolved there over the last year or so, uh, given what you've seen. So after the earthquake struck, we were obviously one of the first to respond just because this was, as I said, in, in our backyard. And it's been this this year of incredible growth because the world really rallied around Haiti after the earthquake. And we started seeing a massive influx in donations enabling us to do the work. And because of the scale of the devastation, our programs each had to to grow to fit the need. We estimate, we just closed out our fiscal year on uh, June 30th, and we estimate our programs reaching 750,000 people in the south of Haiti. That's children, that's grandparents and others that were greatly affected by the earthquake. And we closed out the year with our healthcare program in particular, 
conducting over nearly 111,000 medical consultations, which to put that in perspective is about a 400% increase in patient load over our last fiscal year. And that's through our infirmary, which is in downtown Lakai, as well as our mobile clinics. MSPP, which is the Ministry of Health in Haiti, really relied on our network to send us out into communities to hold mobile clinics to provide that kind of critical care uh, to people who were either injured or dealing with chronic illness, which is something that you don't really necessarily think about as an immediate concern right after an earthquake. But if you are a diabetic, you need a continuum of care in order to stay healthy and to stay alive. And so we were able to provide that because we've been in Haiti for over 33 years, we have a robust supply chain. So when other organizations maybe were struggling to bring in that critical gift in kind, like food, like like medications and medical supplies, tarps, uh, emergency shelter, we brought in over 27,000 home water filtration systems to help reduce waterborne diseases, over 10,000 tarps and 100 tents for emergency shelter. We brought in solar panel, solar lights through a great partnership with Amazon. We not only needed to fill the need for our 24 partner communities that we've worked with, but we also needed to respond to the greater need of the South of Haiti. And we were just so uniquely positioned to do so partly given our focus on local leadership and empowerment, which includes those 150 doctors, nurses, et cetera, that, that are part of our staff who live and are from, live in and are from the communities we served, just dedicating, dedicated to improving their own country, but as well as in our partner communities where we were able to provide things like mental health training to the teachers in those communities so that they could try to help mitigate any mental health and PTSD issues for the students. We were able to do uh, provide direct cash transfers to mothers who maybe were struggling to put food on the table after businesses closed down or their, their homes were destroyed. We distributed almost 140 thousand pounds of locally produced food that was distributed to 18 communities after a food security assessment. So this is all just to say that it was a it was a year of incredible growth and we really put that attribute that both to the massive public outpouring of support that came to Haiti after the earthquake as well as truly the resilience and collaboration of our staff and our partner networks throughout the south of Haiti uh, who all came together to try to respond as quickly as possible. <laughs> Those are astounding statistics to say that you've had that level of increase in your activity over the last year is just remarkable. And it's unusual, really, that an organization would be able to ramp up in the way that you have. I, I suspect some of that is due to, as you mentioned, getting additional support around the earthquake to help bolster and enable you to provide that level of uh, support and activity. But what else might you say, in addition to your being there and having this wonderful supply chain, what is it about your people, the people who work in your organization, that would drive you to such astounding numbers of support for Haiti at this point? Yeah, if it's okay, I can read a, a little bit of a note from our education program director, Renald. Sure. I actually just had him write a little bit about this for our annual report, which is going to be coming out in the coming weeks. 
it it does come down to the dedication of our staff, the resilience of our staff and our core values, spell outreach, it's uh, resilience, empowerment, accountability, collaboration, and hope. And each play is such a significant part in our work. I mean, hope is in our name as an organization. But what Renald wrote for the annual report, I think, is a great kind of encompassing statement. He is Haitian and living and working in Haiti. And like I said, he's our education program director. So what he wrote was, our work to support Haiti finds its true meaning in the courage of its people to remain strong in the face of adversity while aspiring to a better tomorrow. In the midst of the most destitute circumstances, we Haitians would always tell you, we are like reeds, we bend, but we will not break. Haitians' resilience is legendary, and this inspires our organization to stand with them in the most challenging moments, working hard every day in tandem to support our mutual dreams and become one of their most trustful partners. Resilience is one of our core values, and our staff has made it their motto to accomplish unimaginable goals in the most difficult contexts. Our strength is our resilience. Wow. And I think that that One, he's an incredible writer and an incredible kind of spokesperson for our organization. But I think that that stands true. Like you mentioned it, and and like I said, too, it's been an incredibly difficult few years just with challenge after challenge after the earthquake. It wasn't just kind of emergency response the way that you picture the immediate emergency response, rebuilding schools, treating injuries. When we started doing assessments after the earthquake, We had originally assumed that we would need to fundraise X amount and have to do X amount of consultations and distribute X amount of water buckets and X number of pounds of food. And when we started completing those assessments, we realized that the need was far greater than we could have imagined and that this was a three phase, three phases of recovery that would last through 2023. So we're, you know, entering year two, we've made an incredible impact, but we're not going anywhere. And the work still needs to get done. Thinking about that work that needs to get done in the future, how do you plan for supporting in a country like Haiti, that is probably one of the least wealthy, I'll say, probably the, one of the poorest countries on the planet, is totally dependent, it seems, on the support of other nations and people and their goodwill. Um, how do you plan for building in a place like Haiti when there are so many things that seem to be uh, out of one's control, so to speak, out of one's control. How do you plan? That's a great question. It's one we're asked a lot. We also have hope hope in our name. So we get kind of that kind of snarky questioning sometimes of, is there really hope for Haiti? And the answer is yes. Any one of our staff would tell you that our goal as an organization is to not exist as an organization anymore. We operate under a sustainable communities model where we go in to partner with the local community and help them succeed, help them help themselves succeed in the in the hopes that we can eventually pull out of that community and move on to the next. So we have 24 partner schools right now, partner communities right now. And our goal, our end goal as an organization is to solve the need, to solve the reliance, and and to really help these communities thrive. We like to say that great ideas and talent and, and intelligence 
isn't location bound. It can happen anywhere. It's just the resources that can help someone make a difference. And so us being able to bring in some of these resources, making sure that teachers are trained and provided with a stipend because public school isn't free in Haiti the way it is here in the United States. And some families can't afford to pay those school fees. So then teachers stop teaching because they don't get paid or students don't go to school because they have to walk too far of a distance or they're not getting enough food at home or clean water. So they're sick. So they're out. By being able to help at the kind of holistic granular level in partnership with these communities so that opportunity, those resources are there and they can thrive on their own it is really the end goal for our organization. I think, like I said, if you asked any of us, whenever we do those, where do you imagine the, the organization in 50 years and 30 years? All of us would say, you know, we hope we're not needed. We hope we're, at, we hope we're out. I'd like to be out of a job. And that's kind of our kind of end goal is to finish the work and, and not be needed anymore. But until that point, we'll be there. We're going to be in the communities. We're going to be partnering with them. And we like to say partner. We don't go in and just build a school. We go in and we partner with the communities and and they build the school. We provide the resources. They help get the work done and they feel so committed to it being done because they know it's in partnership and it's not just us telling them what they need or how to do things. Well, you've been with this five years, as you mentioned, and I should give you a a shout out for being promoted uh, last week. Uh, congratulations. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> that's got to be uh, a good feeling to know that you're appreciated in your organization and recognized in that way. But I, I want to ask, though, about the, the whole notion of burnout, because when you're doing the kind of work that your organization is doing, when you're seeing the kind of suffering and to some extent misery that people are going through, it can have an effect on you. And I just want to know how your organization goes about caring for each other as you are caring for the people in Haiti who probably need more care than anyone can actually give them at this point. How do you go about taking care of each other? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. It's one that actually came up a lot in our fiscal year planning for this coming year because yes, this was this was a hard year and we all across the board felt the effects of it, especially going on <laughs> multiple years within the pandemic and then to have the work ramp up in in such an exponential way like you said. We are a very close team. We have lots of touch points together, that kind of collaboration and hope that that I mentioned as, as two of our core values really are important to us. In the immediate aftermath of the earthquake, one thing that I think our CEO, Skyler, and our chief program officer, Linda, and our chief operating officer, Meg, really did well was we kind of almost had like a buddy system for a little while where you would try to check in on each other, see how everyone's doing. We activated phone trees in the immediate aftermath so that everyone could see that everyone else was okay. We're also kind of a casual organization. A lot of our communications, we have an all-staff WhatsApp chat where people wish each other happy birthday, send photos. 
Um, so we kind of started doing some lighter hearted show a photo of you from 10 years ago. And it was kind of fun to see the span of what everyone was up to a decade ago. But we've also rolled out wellness initiatives over the past year as well, including wellness stipend for U.S. staff. I know that they've worked on mental health resources for our staff in Haiti, who was directly affected by the disaster. And I hate to say we're like a family because I think in a lot of places that can sometimes be twisted into something that's toxic and unhealthy. But for our organization, we all have worked together for a long time and we've all hugged at galas or those of us who have been to Haiti, shared a drink with a colleague and just kind of naturally out of it. There was a lot of one-on-one contact and one-on-one outreach and just really checking in on each other and making sure that everyone is okay. And that's top down. You know, our CEO was calling all the staff to make sure that they were doing okay. Um, He flew down to Haiti pretty much immediately after the earthquake to be with our staff, which I think is kind of another unique thing that maybe you wouldn't see at all other organizations. He, He felt it very strongly that he needed to be there in person to be there with them and to let them know that they weren't alone. And we also really encourage staff to to utilize their PTO. I won't say that, <laughs> that none of us were taking PTO in the immediate aftermath. We were all way too busy. But there was a lot of from the top down instruction of you need to sleep, you need to eat. I know we're fundraising. I know we're doing a lot of press. I know that the work needs to happen as quickly as possible. But you can tap out if you need a tap out. Take a couple hours, take a nap, make sure to get food. The work can't get done if you're burnt out. And and that's just, that's very cultural for our organization and something that we feel very strongly about is self-care. This is international development. And especially when there is a disaster, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And if you're not taking care of yourself, uh, the work is going to suffer. I think like you said, there is a tendency sometimes to burn out in this line of work. But I think our culture as an organization has really done a good job of preventing that as, as much as possible. I won't lie and say that August and September and October weren't extremely busy and difficult and that I was getting a full eight hours of sleep every night. But I also knew that if I needed to, to take a break, I could and it was heavily encouraged. Now we're about to enter into hurricane season. Yes which is always a scary time. I guess we're already in it uh, when you think about it. And we can't expect that nothing will happen there, although uh, we're hopeful there won't be any hurricanes that hit in the Caribbean or in the United States. But how do you prepare for that eventuality? I guess you have to have systems in place anticipating an event of this type. Yes, we have very robust crisis management and preparation in our organization. We have, it's just an unfortunate necessity and reality for working where we work. <laughs> also, just because our, our U.S. office is in Florida, it's not just our, our Haitian staff that has had to deal with it. Hurricane Irma flooded our office significantly in Florida, and we were not able to work out of it for a while while it was repaired. So we do kind of have to think about it on those two kind of pillars that it, it might not just hit hit in Haiti. Like I said, we've been around for 33 years. So we've seen these. We've seen Hurricane Matthew, which struck southern Haiti in 2016. We now have multiple earthquake responses under our belts, the food insecurity, the political instability, COVID-19. These are all terrible things that we wish never had happened. But 
because they have, we learn something new from each one and improve our processes from there. We have very robust playbook for these things from we always keep a certain supplies on hand for rapid response in our warehouse so that if something were to to strike, we already have kind of these emergency buckets on hand that are stocked with water filtration systems, some emergency food and water, hygiene supplies, that kind of thing. We keep a stock of those. We have our partner network, which I mentioned a couple times, which is both for gift and kind. I want to shout out like AmeriCares and uh, MAP International for being two of two of our great partners on that front, as well as Amazon really stepped up after the earthquake, who can help us get supplies in quickly through our supply chain network. And we have phone trees and all of these policies and documentation already written down so that <laughs> the best way to describe it, we have a, a huge Excel spreadsheet that has tabs for pretty much anything you could think of happening and what the what the action steps are, the immediate right that second, what happens the next day, what happens in the first week. We've built these out and we've tweaked them after after kind of every situation and improve it as needed and update it as needed. But having this playbook on hand has saved us critical time and being able to respond quickly. When the earthquake happened last year, we were one of the first organizations to put out a statement because we did the planning and we knew the language that we would use in a statement if something were to happen, got it up on Instagram and all of our social media networks right away. And because of that, we were one of the first organizations using the Haiti earthquake hashtag, which led to a lot of public awareness and, and brand awareness. We had some incredible celebrities and, and big people speak out about us. I think because we were first, because we had put the time in to do that planning. And it's the same thing ahead of every hurricane season. Are the supplies there? Is all the staff aware and comfortable with the policies? Do we need to do another reminder of things? Everyone look through, see if anything in your action item column needs to be updated. Have anything transferred from one employee to another? Putting in that little bit of work ahead of time really means you can start responding and be confident that you're responding in the right way uh, and that certain things are already pre-approved to roll with. So you're not being held up by approvals and bureaucratic kind of like red tape uh, within our organization. Just start working immediately and, and here's your playbook for that. So any organization that's kind of working in in areas like this, I, I heavily encourage just putting in the work up front to do that because it'll save a significant amount of time and headache in the awful situation that something does happen. Taylor, I want to ask the question, how can people help? But before I do, I wanted to just point out that I noticed on your website that you have NFTs, non-fungible tokens that are made up of artwork, digital art by some Haitians Yes, uh, that people can access and purchase, which I was really both surprised and happy to see. <laughs> yeah. So you're giving some of these local artists a chance to get some of their work out there as a way of helping them prosper and giving attention to the organization as well. But how else can people help? And I'm glad you brought up the NFT auction. That's that's a brand new initiative for us that my colleague, Sarah Porter, has been working very hard on. One of our program areas is economic development. And so we love, we love on one hand, really trying to be as innovative as possible and diversifying revenue streams and being where the people are to get our name out and get that awareness out. But on the other side, 
these Haitian artists being able to get their artwork out to a greater audience as well, where you don't have to be in Haiti to, to purchase it and you can be anywhere in the world. It's been a really interesting project so far. So yes, I encourage anyone to go to our website to, to check that out. It's 900 individual NFTs that are up for auction right now. And the artists will each receive a portion of the proceeds uh, as well as royalties for any future sales. And then the rest will go to helping us rebuild two schools that were very badly damaged in last year's earthquake. We're currently rebuilding several schools uh, throughout the south of Haiti, and, and this will help two of them. Outside of NFTs, we have a couple kind of annual campaigns that are really fun to get in- engaged with. One is the Hike for Haiti, which is inspired by one of our partner schools where the children climb a mountain every day to get to school. We encourage people around the world to hike on their own uh, and, and dedicate the miles to to children and families who walk those long distances to access education or healthcare. That's year round. And then we do have in-person activations in the spring that in some key markets that people can attend in person. We have an in-person gala in South Florida every February, so that's another option. We also make it pretty easy to to donate funds, whether it's donating crypto via Apple Pay. We accept Venmo now, as well as the more traditional cash options. And, And every dollar really makes a difference for us. We're really proud to be able to say that our three-year average of expenses that's related specifically to programs, so program expenses, is over 95%, and that's on the three-year average. It's 95.1 currently, which means for every dollar donated, 95 cents is going directly to programs and really truly makes a difference. If you're not able to, to give monetarily, just subscribing to our newsletter to stay aware of what we're working on. We love sharing the impact uh, and photos and videos of what's going on in Haiti. I'm currently working on a big roundup from my trip. I can't wait to show everyone the photos of how incredible everything is looking at some of our schools that we're, we're nearing completion on from the rebuilding or just f- subscribing to us, following us on social media. Awareness plays a huge role in what we do and just sharing that out and helping spread the word can maybe make someone else donate. So visit our website. It's it's www.hopeforhaiti.com or our social media handles are at Hope for Haiti everywhere except for Facebook where it's at Hope for Haiti FL. We're working to get that change, but it's still Hope for Haiti FL for now. <laughs> well, you've been listening to Taylor Hebel, who is the chief marketing officer at Hope for Haiti. And we want to thank you, Taylor, for joining us on this episode of the Heart of Giving podcast and wish you continued success in your work helping people in Haiti who so desperately need that support. Thank you so much for having me, Art. Well, and to all of our listeners, I want to thank you for checking in. And of course, you can find us on all major podcast platforms. And there are about 90 other amazing guests that we've had over the last couple of years. If you haven't heard them, please take some time and check in. Also, if you want to support the Heart of Giving podcast, you can do so by making a contribution to give.org, the organization that sponsors us. It is a program. We are a program of the BBB Wise Giving Alliance's give.org. So you can go there and make a generous donation and we will certainly appreciate it. And I hope you'll tune in uh, next week for a new edition of the show. Thank you. You've just listened to the Heart of Giving podcast with Art Taylor. Be sure to tune in next time for a brand new episode. 
To listen to our other interviews, visit heartgiving.podbean.com. That's heartgiving.podbean.com. Subscribe to our show on major podcast platforms. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are the views and opinions of the guests, not those of the BBB Wise Giving Alliance or program affiliates. This podcast is for information and educational purposes only and is copyrighted with all rights reserved. This podcast is protected by Podbean's Terms of Service.